we are in, at the very beginning of this series um, called Storyline. And, and what we're going to do over the next uh, 11 months is we're going to take this 30,000 foot view of the Bible and, and all these stories. Um, and what we're going to see is this single thread that runs from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, and the single thread is the gospel. Now, now, when I say the gospel, I want us all to be on the same page. I want us to be on the same starting line, the same starting block. Because when I talk about the gospel, when we say the gospel around here, what we are talking about is that God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Okay, what that means is, uh, while we were still sinners, means that while we were still enemies of God is what the Bible says. Well, before we ever thought about God, before we ever turn to God, that God showed us how much he loves us while we were still sinners by sending his son to live the life that we can't live and to die the death that we all deserve. And when we put our faith in the work of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, in other words, when we put our confidence, when we put our trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we have forgiveness of sins and we have eternal life. In other words, we are saved from our sins. So that's what we talk about when we talk about the gospel around here. That's something, and it's, and it's not something I grab onto just once in my life and I'm done, but it's something that we embrace day after day. It's something that we embrace every day of our lives to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and how he put his grace on us. So, so this morning, we're going to talk about uh, Noah and the flood. And what I love about Genesis, the book of Genesis, it's, it's really the story of God initiating his loving pursuit of us with his grace. And, and so we get to this story of Noah in the flood this morning, and uh, we have to be real careful how we read the story of Noah, okay? And this is why. Um, because it's real easy to see Noah as the hero of the story, okay? And, and if, we, if we read the story, if we read any story, but particularly the story of Noah, and we read him as the story, potentially it could send us down this, this, this trail of reading the Bible as this catalog of heroes and cautionary tales. In other words, we start reading the Bible as... Um, as as people we should be like, okay, or people we shouldn't be like. And we start making every story about the person. But the great news about the Bible is that God pursues us with his grace. He pursues us with his love. He pursues us with his, with his goodness to the downtrodden, the broken, the unheroic people like you and I and the unheroic people like Noah. So spoiler alert this morning, Noah is not the hero of the story. And that's where we're going this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six this morning. As uh, we uh, take this 30,000 foot view of the, of the Bible. And I uh, wanna encourage you, um, and we have a 1045 Bible recap class that they're hitting some stories that we're not. 
Doesn't mean these stories are any less important. It's just they're filling in the blanks. And so at 1045, you can go down to grab you a cup of coffee or a glass of tea and you can head down. It's just an hour. You're already here anyway. It's cold outside. Uh, so there's no, you know, no really, no yard work to do today. Okay. So I want to encourage you to head down there and uh, hit up that class and give it a try. So, so we pick up our story about Noah and the flood uh, here in uh, chapter six. And, and let's just kind of go through this story like a narrative. And uh, let's uh, see who indeed is the hero of the story and uh, get ready to read along, play along. Uh, maybe you got a notebook. If you don't have a notebook, there's some right here on the table and there's some back there in the back. I can't see past the third row anyway, so you're not gonna bother me if you get up and grab one, okay? Um, so let's pick it up in verse five, okay? Maybe underlining your Bibles here coming up. So um, said, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every, kind of underline every there, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only, you can underline only there, evil all the time. And you can just underline that all the time. So it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And so we have every only all, uh, all are evil, nobody passes. So what should we expect to happen in verse six? Okay, in verse six, I think we you know, would expect you know, judgment, uh, wrath, condemnation of a holy God, but that's not what we get. Look at verse six. It says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Underline that, deeply troubled. Now, now, now here, here, here's, what, here's what's going on here. Is that, is that God is upset and his heart is filled with pain. And what this verse tells us is that, is that God voluntarily bound up his heart to us. He voluntarily tied his heart, anchored his heart, tethered his heart to us. And to the extent, to the extent that you and I, the human race, are his, are his deepest joy, but also his, his deepest source of pain. That God's, God has tied his heart to mankind. Now, now, as a parent, you can understand this concept, right? Okay, how many of your parents here? Okay, just kind of, okay. How many of you don't want to admit that you, no, okay, no. Been one of those weekends, huh? Okay, but, but only parents really kind of understand this concept, right? That nothing as a parent fills our hearts with more joy than watching our kids succeed, right? Than watching them uh, flourish, watching them be happy. Nothing gives our hearts as parents more excitement and more joy than watching our kids, okay? But also at the same time, the other side of the coin, nothing as parents fills our hearts with more pain than watching our kids suffer. And that, that's what this verse is telling us is that God, he bound his heart, he tied his heart to us, that we are his source of greatest joy, but also deepest pain, that God tied his heart to mankind and mankind said, kind of said, no thanks. God, not only do we not want you, but we don't trust you. And so God's heart is full of compassion here and he has intentionally bound his heart to us, which means as we foreshadow what's gonna happen, 
that one day he would suffer for our sins, that he would suffer to save us from ourselves. So look at verse, verse seven. It says, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I even made them. Now the fact that there is a verse eight just shows us the goodness of God. The fact that the, the story of the human race doesn't end right there just shows us the grace of God because that is the wrath of God. That is the judgment of a holy God coming down. But then we have the grace of God in verses eight and nine. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family, that Noah was, righteous, was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, now this is where the misconception with Noah begins, because Noah is presented to us as a person, uh, as the first person who gets it, okay? The first person um, that we can kind of set our sights on to, to be like. I mean, we had Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve blew it. But, but now we have Noah, righteous and blameless. And because of that, we've made him a theme of all nurseries everywhere, okay? Right, you're having a baby, what's the first? Hey, let's go with this decoration theme. Let's do Noah's Ark and all the animals and the rainbow and all that makes it really pretty for baby, right? And so, but, but how do we get, oh, let's back up a little bit. I mean, how do we get from every, only, all, nobody passes. I regret I created them to Noah was a righteous man. I mean, it seems like we skipped something there. And, and, and some read this and think, well, you know, like God was scouring the earth, you know, searching for someone, searching for anyone who was righteous and blameless. And one day God happens to stumble on Noah and sighs a deep, you know, sigh of relief. And whoo, that was a close one. That, that, that's not what God did. That's not what happened here. See, this word favor, okay, it's, it's used in other places of the Bible and it's the same word for grace. And that's the game changer. That's what changes the story for us. That, that when it says in the Lord, and Noah had favor, found, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that word is grace. That, and here's the deal, that, that God initiated grace. That God found Noah. God, God found Noah. Grace found Noah. Noah didn't find God. God found Noah. And it took the grace of God to move Noah from the ranks of the unrighteous to the ranks of the righteous. It took the grace of God to, to take Noah from the ranks of, you know, every, all, nobody passes to righteous and blameless. And, and Noah's righteousness here, let's not read into this. Noah's righteousness is, is not a precondition for him receiving grace, okay? It wasn't, you know, well, you know, Noah, you know, started walking God's way and God started walking Noah's way and they kind of met in the middle, you know, under a Georgia pine. You know, it, it wasn't one of those kind of deals, okay? It wasn't, you know, Noah pulled his weight and so, because Noah did these things, God said, well, I guess I'll come halfway. I'll meet you halfway. 
It wasn't one of those that Noah's uh, righteousness is not a precondition of receiving grace. Uh, Noah's righteousness is not a result of anything that Noah did. Noah's righteousness is the result of God choosing to put his grace on Noah, to, to put his love on Noah. And, and God wrapped Noah up in his arms of grace and love and said, you are not going to be this way anymore. You are now going to be a righteous and faithful and blameless person and your faith is in me. So Noah, he didn't come to this conclusion on his own. God went and met, not halfway, not most of the way. God went all the way to meet Noah. And that's a precursor for what Jesus has done for us. So now we're starting to kind of see who actually is the hero of the story. Look at um, chapter 6, verses 11 and 13. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I mean, first of all, I'm reading this, and I'm like, why in the world would anybody make this the theme of their nursery? (laughs) I mean, this is a pretty violent story, right? I mean, could you imagine reading this to your your little baby? You know, you're surrounded by rainbows and arcs and animals and... And honey, people were so corrupted. God was going to wipe everybody from the face of the earth. Nighty night. (laughs) So, but, but, but here's the deal. God, God's, there's, there's always three realities involved in these stories that we need to see. Okay. There's three realities that are involved in it. Sin, it's grace, and it's salvation in every story. And the sin is pretty obvious. It's the wickedness of the human race, okay? Um, The grace is God's grace applied to Noah, that God putting his grace, his love on Noah, and the salvation is the ark, okay? Okay? And in our story, God tells Noah to build an ark. In other words, this whole ark thing was, Noah, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I've shown you my grace. I've shown you who I am. I've shown you how much I love you. You're following me. And now I need you to continue to follow me. And I need you to trust me. And Noah does it. And it takes years to build the ark. And as he's building the ark, no, no, nobody pitches in. Nobody picks up a tape measure. Nobody picks up a hammer. Nobody picks up a saw. Nobody picks up a cordless drill. It's still wickedness all over the earth. Sin is still involved here. And God says, I'm going, in verse 17, he says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens and every creature that has breath and life on it, in it. And everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons and wives with you. And you're going to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. To every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you 
catch that? We'll come to you. In other words, Noah, don't think this is about you and what you have to do. It's about what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring, I'm going to do it all for you. I do all the saving. That's an overarching theme here of the whole Bible is that God does all the saving. Okay. I'm going to bring these animals to you, Noah. And you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And the Lord said to Noah, now go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Again, we see the grace and the salvation of God. Now now let's stop right here and let's kind of ruin the whole big, you know, the end here. The ark represents Jesus in the story, okay? The ark is Noah's salvation. Jesus is our salvation. And and, and so the takeaway from that is if you and I find ourselves in the middle of a storm, and, and, and storms are coming, okay? Some of us are in a storm right now, okay? All hell has broken loose in our lives and we are hanging on by a thread. But when the storms of life come, get in the ark. Find safety and refuge in Jesus and let Jesus take on life's waves. Let Jesus take on the floods. Let Jesus take on the storms that we need to find our salvation in him because here's the deal, he suffered on the cross for us, okay? He suffered on the cross for us and Jesus is the hero, not only of this story, but he's the hero of every story that we're gonna read about. Noah was just the recipient of God's grace and salvation. And that's how we have to read this story. That's how we have to read every story is that Jesus is the hero of the story and what Jesus has done for us. So it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, the waters rise to the point that it, it's 23 feet uh, above the mountains. You can find that in verse 20. And Noah and his family, they float around for about 150 days and the ark finally comes to rest on a mountainside. Um, Noah and his family, they remain in the ark for another 220 days or so. And so now, after 377-ish days, you do the math, uh, Noah and his family finally come out of the ark. And the first thing that Noah does is he builds an altar and he makes an offering to God. And God makes a covenant, okay, an agreement. And when God makes a covenant, you know, back in these times, people would make a covenant, with one another. Families would make a covenant with one another and, and they would sacrifice an animal. And it was to say, if, if one of us breaks this covenant, may the one who broke the agreement become like that animal kind of deal. And, but when God makes a covenant, it's not like if, you know, it, it's not like if we don't live up to the bargain that we pay, it, it, it is when we don't live up to the bargain, he pays. He pays on the cross. That this is an agreement, a covenant that he has made with us that even if we break it, he won't. That's how good he is. That's how faithful he is. And so he makes this covenant with Noah and he makes this covenant really with all of mankind. And and, uh, look at at verse eight, or chapter eight, verse 20. 
It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, that, so that explains what happened to unicorns, okay? I mean, Noah accidentally sacrificed a unicorn. And this is where I blame Noah, okay? Noah could have been the hero of the story had he taken a cat <laughs> and just wiped cats off the face of the planet. But he's not the hero of the story. But the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And jump over to chapter nine, verse 12. It says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant, this agreement that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. So we're included. You and I are included. It says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now the rainbow it tells us all we need to know about the gospel. Three things about the rainbow. Number one is the rainbow shows us the backdrop of God's grace. Now, anytime we see a rainbow, it means that probably there's some storm clouds close by. And often we don't find the grace of God unless troubles are happening around us, right? Oftentimes we don't find the grace of God until unless there's troubles happening around us. You know, it's difficult for us to see God's grace unless something has gotten us to see our dependence on him. We don't often see God's grace in our lives. It takes something to, to show us just how weak we are, how flawed we are, how sinful we are, how needy we are, how dependent we are. And you don't need me to tell you that. We know that. I mean, that's why when things are going great in our lives, how, how desperate are we to pray? We may get to it. But when something goes down and it shakes us, to the core of who we are, what is one of the first things we do? Pray. And hopefully it's the first thing we do. But sometimes what we do is, you know, we, we, we call a friend or we get on social media and we get, you know, a thousand people praying for us. No, we need to go to our knees first and pray. And then we get our friends to pray. But it shows, when we suffer, it shows us our need for God's grace. And so the rainbow is just a backdrop of God's grace and a reminder that we are dependent on him and his grace in our lives. The rainbow, secondly, it shows us the promise of God's grace. I mean, what's a rainbow? It's, reflect, it's re, um, refracted light through moisture in the air, right? Refracted light through rain. In verse 13, um, it says that I have set my rainbow in the clouds, okay? Now, the only problem with this is it's written in Hebrew, but there's no Hebrew word for rainbow. You know what the word is in Hebrew? 
It's warbo, a weapon. So now we're kind of getting in to, to the God's grace here. It says the Hebrew word is warbo, a weapon. And what God is saying is that I'm not going to destroy the earth, that I have laid up my warbo. Okay, I put away my war bow. I put away my weapon and I'm not going to destroy the earth. Now, does God think that everybody's just gonna straighten up and fly right? No. But he's showing us that there, for those who have a relationship with him and now a relationship with him through faith in Jesus, there will be no more wrath because Jesus took on all the wrath for us. And that leads us to our third thing about the rainbow is the rainbow shows us the secret to God's grace. Michael, you got that, you got that picture of that rainbow up there. Um, which way does the war bow point? Points up, right? Now, if, if, it were, if the rainbow was inverted and it was, you know, like a smiley face, that would be pretty scary for us. Because remember, it's a war bow. But that's not a picture of God's grace. See, the war bow is pointed up. And the arrow is aimed directly at Jesus. And what this story is telling us is that one day, God will send his son, to take on the arrows of God's wrath and God's condemnation and God's anger because he's, holy, he's a holy God and he has, sin has to be dealt with. But because he's a good God and a loving God and a gracious God, he said, I will take those arrows on behalf of the human race. And when Jesus was on the cross, he took on the cosmic judgment, the cosmic rejection on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve. So every time we see a, a rainbow, it's a reminder for us that the war bow has been laid up and Jesus took on our punishment for us. And as the band comes and leads us in a time to respond, let me just close with this. As we go through this series, the Bible shows us that the gospel is not the story of God meeting sinners halfway. And for a long time, even as an adult, I thought I had to be good enough for God to accept me that I had to perform my way into God's good graces. And all that, lead, all that thought leads us to being exhausted because we'll never be good enough. We'll never be able to perform our way into God's good graces. And God knew that. That's why he came all the way down to us and lived among us, dwelt among us, lived the life we can't live and did so perfectly to the point that death had no claim on him. But he willingly went to the cross on our behalf. But the gospel is that while we were still yet 
sinners. Christ died for us. Sinners like Noah. Sinners like us. The unrighteous made righteous by the grace of God.